the Yesters, and we want to welcome you to the Desert Cities Church of Christ online service. So glad to have you with us. Yeah, guys, good morning, and uh, here we go on together. We're going to get to hear a great lesson today uh, from James Hammond. He's going to be continuing our sermon series that we're doing for Easter as we get ready uh, for Easter coming up here called The Rescue Story. And uh, we're going to get a listen to that today. I know it'll be amazing, but also... Uh, we're going to get um, a chance at the end to uh, do an offering, and we'll get to take communion together. We really want to encourage everybody um, to check out our social media links, and that way you can stay connected with us throughout the week, and you can get encouragement and find um, different opportunities there to stay connected. We really also want to um, hear people's prayer requests as we can continue to pray for each other, but even in a more specific way. So anyway, grab your Bibles and uh, let's get into God's Word together. Good morning, Desert Cities Church of Christ family and friends. Welcome to our third installment of The Rescue Story. Today we're going to talk about one last chance. Last week, Jake talked about Judas Iscariot, and how he had experienced all the love, nurturing, direction, and fellowship with Jesus and the other disciples. And yet, Judas gave into temptation, which ultimately led him on a path of destruction. James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 1, verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin is a virus. Sin destroys life. In the 1960s, the sexual revolution had started. We were the enlightened Americans. The sexual revolution, also known as the time of sexual liberation, was a social movement that challenged the traditional codes of behavior related to sexuality and interpersonal relationships throughout the United States and subsequently the wider world. This occurred during the 1960s through the 1980s. I was a teenager during this time. I saw the destruction of the so-called freedom that society went after. I personally suffered the consequences of this kind of behavior where sexuality is more important than spirituality. This led to the rise of divorce, single-parent homes, pornography. Today, pornography generates $12 billion in annual income. When I share this statistic with younger people, they are shocked. It's almost unbelievable to them. But as we get older and we get tempted and we give in to temptations, these kind of behaviors become enslaving and they become normative. 
There are countless stories of ruined marriages, ruined families because of the sexual revolution. This is the nature of sin. It is a destructive virus. Sin starts out as an isolated problem, but left in the darkness, it makes its way through society. Which leads us today to an amazing story about a man who lost all hope, whose life was completely dominated by sin, and got one last chance. Let's pray. God, please bless our time and your word this morning. Help our hearts to know your love more deeply. God, help us to understand the destructiveness of sin. Give us hearts that are full of gratitude as we examine your word and think about our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Thief on the Cross is an amazing story, not because of what the thief receives from God, but because of God's mercy. In Luke chapter 23, verse 32, it says, Two men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they were crucified with him, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Thief on the cross. It's an incredible story of how much mercy God has. During this time period, the Romans were ruling Israel, and their justice was ruthless. Many, many were crucified around the time of Jesus. The criminal, or as Matthew calls him, a robber, would have known full well what his behavior could lead to the consequences of his criminal activity would be severe. Crucifixion on a cross. And yet, he continues in this type of behavior 
until finally he is caught, found guilty, and crucified with Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, what was the condition of this man's heart, his character, that allowed him to get so removed from morality, to be so into criminality, that he would risk crucifixion. His character was corrupted. His heart was corrupted. The sin of his life was a virus in his soul. And it had destroyed his life. It's unbelievable today, as we're going through this pandemic, to actually hear stories of people trying to take advantage of it and get a profit of selling items for a higher cost when people are suffering. It's incredible today to hear about college students, people who are supposed to be going to a higher education to become a critical thinker, to be a leader in society, casting off restraint, refusing to follow the directions of the government, and going out on spring break, and then we find out on Wednesday that many of them have come down with the coronavirus. It's hard to believe that hearts can be like that. But the Apostle Paul warns us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. This was the thief on the cross. He had nothing to offer God. He's hanging on the cross. He's near death. His blood's draining out. And he's guilty of sin. Yet we see a similarity between the thief on the cross and the prodigal son. In Luke, the prodigal son had asked his father for his inheritance and goes off and squanders everything he has and ends up feeding pigs. This son did not want to live under the father's rules anymore. He wanted his inheritance. He wanted to live. He wanted to cast off restraint. And he ended up being totally humiliated and humbled. This son, like the thief on the cross, was now an outcast in society, suffering, 
for the consequences of his sin. But it says in Luke 15, verse 17 through 18, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. When he came to his senses, the thief on the cross is hanging there. He hears people ridiculing Jesus. But he hears Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Something at that moment changed his heart. And he rebuked the other criminal. And he confesses freely, I'm getting what I deserve. This is the power of the gospel. His whole attitude changed. He's suddenly humble before Jesus. This is the core of the gospel. It's about changing hearts. Ezekiel prophesied in 571 B.C. while he was in Babylon. And he says in Ezekiel 11:19, I will give them an undivided heart and a new spirit in them. I'll remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. There's so many accounts in the Bible and in the church today of people who have had a spiritual response to seeing their sin and seeing God's mercy and being able to reconcile how much God loves them. Sin is like a virus. It kills and destroys, just like we're seeing today in our society. And here's the thief on the cross, hanging there. Nothing to offer God. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus battered, beaten, hanging on the cross, pouring out his blood for the forgiveness of sins, is concerned about a sinner, a thief, a man with nothing to offer. There's no life that he's going to live after this. He's not going to go proclaim the gospel. He's going to die. And yet God has grace on him. One last chance. The thief on the cross asked for forgiveness. Asked to be with Jesus. If we are honest, this is all of us before the cross of Christ. We have nothing to offer for the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to give for each and every one of us. We need to let that sink in. We need to think about how the prodigal son responded, how the thief responded. We need to openly admit where we fall short, 
and the struggles we have and ask God for help, ask for forgiveness. There's a great deal of confusion today about the implications of grace in our lives. The Apostle Paul said, I am the worst of sinners. And yet he said in Romans 12:1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. According to Paul, when we truly understand that we have nothing to offer God in exchange for His grace, there is only one true response. To offer ourselves as living sacrifices. A great example of the thief on the cross It's not about the thief changing, but it's about the thief having nothing to offer God. Yet God has mercy on him. That is the power of the cross. As we prepare to take communion, I want to remind you, the bread represents the body of Christ broken and beaten as a punishment for our sins. The fruit of the vine, the cup, is Jesus' blood poured out on the cross to wash us clean of every sin. And I want you to reflect on these three questions as you're taking communion. In view of God's mercy, are you grateful In view of God's mercy, are you humble? In view of God's mercy, are you His? We're going to pray now for the communion. Please come back to the video after your communion for further thoughts on today's topic. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the amazing grace that you showed the thief on the cross who had nothing to offer and yet Jesus forgave him. Thank you God. We take the body broken for us as punishment for our sins. We take the cup, the blood of the covenant poured out for our forgiveness in Jesus name. Welcome back. I hope that you had a reflective time during the communion, that your heart was moved, and that you're more grateful now for God's mercy. It's important to know that the thief is being punished for his criminal behavior. His sin caught up to him. That is what happens. Sin catches up to us. It destroys who God intended us to be. It brings destruction just like a virus. And it doesn't discriminate. We see that in our world in all kinds of ways where sin has destroyed lives. Started out small and become a massive problem. 
God the Father doesn't want to just give us eternal life. He wants to set us free from the power of sin today. And as Jesus said in John 10.10, give us life to the full. There are two distinct theological dangers in this passage on the thief on the cross. Number one, many have come to think that the thief on the cross is the plan of salvation or an example of how someone is saved. We need to remember that Jesus in the flesh had the power to forgive sin. In Mark 2.10, Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. And he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This was before Jesus actually died for our sins and before he had been risen from the dead. So theologically, the thief on the cross received mercy under the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Again, this shows the amazing mercy of God Almighty. One last chance for the thief on the cross. Number two, a person should not wait until the last minute of their life and then surrender to Christ. This is not God's plan nor God's hope. It's not God's will for us to be burdened by sin all our lives. He wants to set us free from the power of sin now. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's God's will for our life. There are two distinct practical realities in this passage. Number one, a soft, humble heart is not what Satan wants any of us to have. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There was a change of heart in the thief on the cross. There was a change of heart in the prodigal son. That's what God wants for us. A soft, humble heart. Satan wants us to have the opposite. Number two, we have to continue to cultivate a heart of humility towards God's amazing and unmerited favor. Not to earn salvation, but to honor salvation. Here at Desert Cities Church of Christ, we want you to know that if you're struggling with sin and want help, please contact us. We all struggle and we can all use some help. If you want a deeper understanding of the theology around the thief on the cross, please contact us. We'd love to get into the scriptures with you. I hope that today's message blesses your life, helps your heart, and gives you great, great resolve to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Thank you, and may God be with you.
Hey guys, it's Darren from the Desert Cities Church. So I'm here obviously in my living room, like everybody, and uh, using a selfie stick here. So I'm trying to hold it as still as I can and look at my phone. And uh, so anyway, I just want to share a couple thoughts about contribution. Um, you know, as we're in this really difficult, I mean, I don't know, I've never seen any experience anything like this time in our lives right now. Um, I want to challenge us just a little bit. I mean, in the most loving way I can about make sure that if we have the means, we're not holding back. Um, I think it would be totally normal and natural for any of us to try to start stashing um, a little extra away right now. You know, usually it's good to save for the rainy day before the rainy day hits, but better late than never, right? <laughs> Since none of us do everything perfectly. But um, one of the areas that I want to just get us think about that we're you know, we're not trying to take from is, is just our, our giving to God and our support for the church. Um, for me personally, my family, we give on our income. So if we don't have income, we generally don't give, uh, unless it's some kind of different offering. But, um, so I, I'm definitely saying if you, if you don't have any money coming in right now, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know, um, what's going to happen next. Then, then I am definitely not. Uh, challenging you to give out of what you do not have. But if you still got a job, you're still working, you still have income, or you still are in a good place, please continue to, to support our family, support this body that we are all a part of. The church is us. And, um, so, um, that's, that's kind of, you know, what I want to make sure we are not advocating for people to hurt themselves during this time. But, you know, I, I just think that, you know, a scripture you probably heard a lot right now that is often talked about is John 16. You know, Jesus is at the Last Supper the night before he's arrested. And he, uh, or, or the night he's going to be arrested and before he's, you know, crucified, he says, you know, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And there's uh, plenty of trouble to go around right now. But I don't think that what Jesus is telling us is that, you know, there's a lot of fear that you're going to face as you go through this life. But ignoring it's not a good plan. And running away from it's not something that you can do either. And trying to feed it and just focus on the fear is not healthy, as we all know. But you do have to face your fears. you got to face them. And what Jesus is saying is that there will be trouble, but I'm bigger. God is bigger than the trouble. The creator God is in control of all creation. And he promises to be with us during these times right now. So as we face these times, you know, one of the best things you can do with fear is to address it. And one of the best things we can do to address it is, you know, we're continue to worship God, continue to love each other, to read our Bibles, uh, to stay in contact um, with one another, to, to help out those that are in need around us. I think in a lot of ways, there's extra opportunities to serve those and reach out to those around you right now. But also, you know, we can address our fear by continuing to, to give to God and trust him with our with our finances. And so I just, you know, I just want to help us out a little bit with those thoughts. Hopefully um, they're good and they help you. And they remind us to just keep loving this body of believers that we adore and that we're so blessed to be a part of. 
And uh, I love you all. I'm praying for everyone. And uh, I'm going to say a quick prayer for us. God, thank you so much that you are bigger than the storm, that no matter what storms we face, you are over them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.